Thank you. Thanks uh, to everybody who's contributed this morning. Thank you, songsters. It's a great song. You know, in some churches, they'd have been dancing in the aisles, wouldn't they? They'd been going nuts with that one. Sorry? That's next. Yeah, I agree with you. That's great. Thank you very much indeed. That was, that was good. And how wonderful that we can enjoy and worship in all different styles and different ways. It's a wonderful thing. What a gospel we have. And we look at this reading today and it's almost too bamboozling, really. It's an incredible thing. But what it does, it puts life well into perspective. There is a glory of the Lord. There is a glory of the Lord. There is a glory of the Lord that is available for every single one of us, wherever we are and how we are. What, de- what it depends on is how we climb up the mountain. And so we're going to look at this story now. And do you know what? It's a lovely. I've got the luxury of a bit of time this morning. I hadn't expected to get to this point in my meeting plan until 11.52. Uh, we time it. And so I'm delighted by that. So I've got a bit of time. If you've got time, is that all right with you? Because this is fabulous scripture, and we're going to go into this into a little bit of depth this morning. Uh, and through it, we're going to learn some different things together, um, hopefully for our own hearts and for our own lives. Because you see, at a single reading, this is a huge story. It's incredible. You've got shining faces. You've got dazzling white clothes. You've got bright clouds. One minute you've got Moses and then Elijah. You've got the Lord himself. Then you've got the Lord God speaking from heaven. What do we make of it? How do we read it? What's its message for you and me today? So let's take a look at the context to start with. This is from Matthew chapter 17. Verses 1 to 13. And it's easy to look at this as a separate piece within Matthew's gospel. It's easy to look at this as something that a writer wrote uh, or that Matthew wrote independently of what he'd written before. It's important to see that the original gospel letters were not written with chapters. They were simply written. So we could think that this chapter 17 is a new and separate thread that the writer is starting, but it actually flows from 1628, which says, um, if we've got that there, I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man, that's important, coming in his kingdom. And then it says six days later, it's almost like it's a break from there, but actually while it's a time break, it's not a break in the theme. Because we still go on to see about Jesus, the Son of Man. And 17.1 gives us a very clear picture of this Son of Man. 17.2 tells us that as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed. Why Why do Peter, James, and John have to be taken up a mountain to see this? The answer is, in order that they get it. They have to carry on the message of the gospel that the songsters have just sung about. Shout it from the mountain, they say. And these guys have to carry on that message. 
And so we read, he was transfigured before them. They are privileged to witness something very, very special. Now, what does to be transfigured really mean? The word trans, it's a Latin prefix meaning across or beyond or changed. Most of you will know this, I'm sure. So you've got words like translation across language barriers, transport across from one point to another. These days we talk about someone who's transgender, beyond across genders. In the Catholic Church they have the phrase transubstantiation, which literally means changed. But the translation here goes even further because the word is linked with metamorphosis. And when you think of a butterfly, you think of something that has been changed from inside out. Complete change. A to Z. And here Jesus is changed from one dimension to another. From what the disciples understood as earthly glory, he is transformed to this bright, heavenly, glorious being. And there's these three humble, simple fishermen party to this incredible sight. They see for the first time, with clarity, they see the glory that Jesus set aside to come to earth. That's what they see. Wow. It was an event that instilled in them a sense of wonder, but also we read a sense of fear at the same time. In fact, in his second letter, Peter refers to it, uh, 2 Peter 1.16, there it is. Um, we saw his majestic splendor. With, we're not, this is not fairy tale, folks. We saw this with our own eyes. Note they didn't say, oh, we saw his really bright clothing. Oh, it was ever so white. It was lovely. So we saw his majesty. Back to 17.3, into the appearance of Moses and Elijah. Now, what does this mean? Why didn't any other Old Testament prophet turn up? Why didn't Abraham, the father of the nation, turn up? Why didn't the great King David turn up? Why didn't that marvelous prophet Isaiah, why did they not turn up? Why Moses and why Elijah? Well, the disciples are beginning to slowly understand about Jesus, but they needed a demonstration to help them understand about this man who was human but also divine. Because they had to carry on his work after he left them, they needed to know what it meant, the new covenant. They needed to know what Jesus meant. How was the new Jesus different from the old tradition? How was that? Every Jew grew up knowing about the two main emphases of their faith. Obedience to the law and faith in the word of the prophets, the law and the prophets. Now, there you've got it. Have I, have I missed out? Could we go to the one before that, Penny? Is that all right? I'm hoping there's a stained glass window. That's the one. Thank you very much. We'll come to that in a minute. Um, just for 30 seconds, you see this stained glass window that's been up all morning. There is Jesus in the middle, Mount of Transfiguration. Which character do you think is which? Just have a word with the person next to you. Who's who up there? You know who the center one is. Who's who?
Okay. <clears throat> On the right-hand side, I would suggest that that's probably Peter because we read that he's fearful and he looks as though he's in... Yeah, he's fearful. <laughs> I would suggest that you've got James and John on the left, probably James and then John. And then you've got the two prophets either side of Jesus. On the left would be... And on the right is Elijah. How do we know that? Because Moses and Elijah meant something special to the Jewish nation. Moses gave the law and Elijah was known as the prophet of prophets. And there you can see Moses with the tablets in his hand, the law, the Ten Commandments if you like. And Elijah has the scriptures in his hand. Elijah was also the one who did not experience death. But scripture tells us he was caught up to the Lord in the heavenly realms. So these two men represent the law and the prophets. They were the great and grand figures for the disciples in their Jewish faith backgrounds. For the Jew, the law and the prophets was everything. Everything in the law and the prophets. And with these two giant present, two giants, God makes the key message loud and clear. Jesus is greater than the law and the prophets. Jesus is greater than these. And now we'll have that Galatians 3.24, if we could. Um, there it is. Um, and and this, is, this is Paul now, a bit further on. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And then the next one is Acts chapter 10. He is the one all the prophets testified about saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. They bring home the fact that the law and the prophets point directly and solely and only to Jesus. And as if to offer visible evidence of it all, Jesus is transfigured. A complete metamorphosis takes place. So Peter, James and John see Moses, Elijah and Jesus together. They are stunned by this mountaintop experience. Can you imagine them going home at the end of the day and their wives saying, what kind of day have you had, love? Well, you're not going to believe this. This is what happened. It's an awesome moment that also terrifies them. Do you notice, actually, in 17, 3 and 4, uh, I'll just read this. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. There was no introductions. He didn't say, Peter, this is Moses. Uh, Moses, this is Peter. James, this is Eli Elijah, James, Elijah, Moses, Peter. No introductions. They recognized immediately. And the scripture doesn't even say that Moses is holding anything physical like the law. That might be fine in stained glass windows. So in what form they were on the mountain, we're not fully sure. And you know what? Just a little aside here. It gives me comfort when I think of the future kingdom of heaven. And, you know, we're all going to leave this mortal coil at one point or another somehow. 
And you know, you often talk, we've spoken, certainly Carolyn and me in the last couple of years, about how you recognize your loved ones. You know, when you meet them again, you just will. You just will. There seem to be, yeah, there they are. That's Moses, that's Elijah, I get it. I get it, I understand. I understand that's the one who brought the law. That's the one who, was the, that's the one who never died. That's the one who was the prophet's prophet, if you like. And Peter wants to hold on to this immense moment. And in verse 4 he says, if you wish, I'll build a shelter for you all. It's a very naive kind of uh, sentence, but he's in shock. And in other words, he's saying, please stay with us. Don't go. Don't leave us. Stay here. He wanted to live on the mountaintop forever. But fear takes over because he knows he's got to go back down. So while Peter is speaking, he's interrupted. And uh, he's interrupted by God. If you're going to be interrupted by anybody when you're talking, God's a good one to be interrupted by. While he was still speaking, a cloud enveloped them. And God says, this is my son. With him I am well pleased. Another pointer to Peter, James and John that Jesus is the one in glory now and will be the one in glory forever. It's another pointer to these men. This is my son, with him I am well pleased. There's Hebrews 1, 1 to 3a, there it is. Long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets and now in these final days he's spoken to us through his son. The son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. That's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of Jesus we're talking about, friends. Sometimes God, actually, I think God wants to interrupt us more and we just keep talking. I think he wants to interrupt us a lot more and we don't listen as we should do it. Because I think there's a lot of things that we do, a lot of things that we say in our daily life that's in our hearts and we know it's of God, but we don't do it. We don't listen as we should. Now here's the thing for us. Mountaintop experiences are not everyday occurrences, but they are necessary because they can really change how we react and respond to life when we come back down the mountain. And you'll be talking about this in your small groups over the next couple of weeks as well. It's a great topic to talk about. True mountaintop experiences can give us new perspectives where we start to see many more of God's promises coming true. We see God's glory in fresh and new ways. We see sometimes the same things that we saw before. We're connected to the same people, but our eyes and ears are different. They are changed. And these are the awe-inspiring moments when we get it. At the foot of the mountain, we get it. Everything points to Jesus when you've been up the mountain and you come back down. All we do and all we are. In 17.6, we see that the disciples get it. They fall to the ground in awe and fear. And you notice that at the same time that this happens, Moses and Elijah disappear and it just leaves Jesus and all history points to Jesus. Moses, Elijah, all the prophets, including John the Baptist, all paved the way for this one person, John the Baptist, the new Elijah. And then at the time of the disciples' biggest experience of fear, 
the writer says, and Jesus came and touched them. Their hearts, but they also need to know his physical presence. I'm still with you, he says, and he shows his love to these confused disciples. By touching them, he reminds them that he who is declared by the voice from heaven to be the Son, is also still very much flesh and blood with them. On this day of transfiguration, heaven and earth are joined. Now, I've never climbed a high mountain. We, I think I told you a few weeks ago that we attempted Sinai. Uh, we got nearly to the top, but Carolyn just sort of backed off, to be honest, before we, before we got to the top. We were so close. You were very tired, weren't you? We've walked up big hills together, right up to the top. Uh, Malvern Hills are beautiful. Uh, and as you climb up, you know, some of you know this much better than I, you start to see new and different things as you gaze out on the scene, the higher you go, landmarks come into view. Likewise, the journey of those who call themselves Christian should be about discovering new insights of faith and the divine. And the higher you go to meet God in Christ, the more you will see. It takes trust, yes. It takes time, yes. It takes a conscious spiritual effort to push ourselves up the metaphorical mountain to be close to God. So how do we climb? We climb by actively reading his word and praying. We climb by heart searching. We climb by realizing there is a much bigger picture than where we are. We climb through learning afresh what his will and way can truly mean for our lives. We climb because we desire some touch of the divine, some touch of glory in the dark corners of our experience. But there is a fact, isn't there? And that is that some people are scared of heights. I do get concerned that some may be fearful. Some here. Some Christians in the wider church. Because I can sometimes discern it in fearful phrases that I hear. In frightened faces that people don't often know that they are conveying. In a reticence to talk about spiritual things. In a reticence to read the word more or to pray more. In a reticence to look at good Christian spiritual discipline books that will help and inspire. So how do we climb? We climb by not being scared of the route. We climb by understanding that Christ is with us on the trip. And this is how we experience God more closely every day. We ascend supporting one another in spirit and truth. We might ask the question this morning, each one of us, if all Christians lived like me, what would the church be like? Let's go to Romans 12 too. Be not conformed to this world, says Paul, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I chose that from the authorized version because it is so clear. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want to highlight that the Greek word used for transformation in Matthew 17 on the mountaintop is the same Greek word that is used here in Romans. Metamorpho. 
There it is. It means the inside and outside transfiguration. It means the inside and outside transformation. It was used about Jesus on the mountaintop. And now it refers to a transformation that you and I can experience. Don't you find that incredible? That that same experience of transfiguration can be yours and mine right where we are. When we reach that high place of spiritual revelation, we no longer place a greater priority on the things we once thought precious. Heaven is with you. I pray that we may become a people who together comprise a transformed community and therefore a transformed recreated earth that shines more through the living of holy lives. So a little prompt for you. As we head into springtime, think of the butterfly. And every time you see one, think of how it started its present existence. It changed inside and out. It became that new creation possible for every one of us. What's hindering the climb? What's hindering the meeting? The transfiguration heralds the new creation reforming not only our lives but existence itself. Amen. Amen. Amen.